So if you uh, didn't know this, we've been uh, going through the Ten Commandments, commandment by commandment, and today is you shall not commit adultery. Uh, it's going to be a heavy text. It's going to be um, applicable uh, to whoever you are in this uh, congregation. So uh, Sasa, you would give me your ears for just a few minutes. So growing up in a church, there are a few things that you do in a sub- subculture, this subculture that's prevalent in churches, especially in the early 90s, okay? So if you grew up in church in the early 90s, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. And it seems strange as I look back over it. So I remember Christian t-shirts, okay, like the Lord's Gym, okay? Uh, there was these Christian t-shirts that we like to wear. Uh, the WWJD bracelet, you might still have one of those, what would Jesus do bracelet? I had like a lot of them, okay, because I, I needed to remind myself constantly, what would Jesus do? DC Talk and Michael W. Smith, okay, that was some good music right there, if you remember that. Christian bumper stickers, like my, my boss is a Jewish carpenter, um, I don't know if you remember that one, uh, but, uh, but Christian bumper stickers. Okay, and you have to be, you have to really, really dig back, and if you remember this one, then, uh, then you win, okay? So, Salty the Singing Songbook, okay? He was a blue songbook that would sing psalms, okay? And he had this little show, okay? Or McGee and Me, if you remember McGee and Me, okay? It was live action, and then there was a little cartoon McGee that would run around. He was kind of the conscience of this, this kid in this show. And the list goes on and on. But one of the most well-meaning yet strangest I remember was a youth conference put on called True Love Waits. Okay, you remember True Love Waits? The conference was usually a draw for youth pastors and parents alike as they felt the church was responsible, responsible for having the talk with their kids and abdicating this role to the conference leader. Okay? The conference had a worship band, dimly lit rooms, boys sitting on one side and the girls sitting on the other. And on the last night, much like the last night of church camp, was the pledge night. Okay, this was the pledge night. The speaker would give a really long talk about personal purity, and it usually ended with the pressure on students to save themselves until marriage. So you would sign a card pledging your purity to God and your future spouse, all the while your hormones raged as your body was developing into adolescence. So I could go on with my critique and also of of True Love Waits, and also bring up the book written by former pastor and now atheist Joshua Joshua Harris titled, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Okay, there was actually a book, my sister had it, okay? As well-intentioned as all of this was, to make a plea to a generation to keep themselves pure until marriage, for many, it was almost a pressure too great to bear. Guilt-ridden because of one impure thought or even taking it to the extreme, young girls who took the pledge and ended up having babies at a young age in high school gave way to shame and guilt as the promises before God were broken and many left the church and never returned. So this is what happens in the early 90s. This is what happens when the church gets law and gospel out of order. 
when they get law and gospel out of order. As we have read, as, as Morgan just read for us in the sacred text, and over the last few weeks we've seen and we've purposely left in verses 1 and 2, I am the Lord your God who delivered you from the house of slavery. Remember, we have to remember before we get to the law, we, re, we have to remember what's been done for us, what's been done in our place. So, am I advocating for immorality? Absolutely not. Am I advocating for morality for morality's sake? Absolutely not. A new nature equals new desires, okay? If, if you take notes, note that. A new nature equals new desires, even the ones that we may not want to talk about in a church service. Okay, so I'm going to give a disclaimer really quickly. I'm going to try my best knowing who is in the congregation, that we have a mixed congregation here. We've got kids, we've got adults uh, of both genders, okay? To put it plainly, the seventh word is about sexual purity and lust. If we took the negative imperative, you shall not commit adultery, and saw it as the positive imperative, it would be to honor marriage. So no matter where you find yourself today, whether single or married, marriage is something to be honored and seen as sacred and holy. This does not mean being single isn't. The Apostle Paul was single, and the Lord Jesus Himself was single. The Bible speaks on singleness many times. For so long it seems that the church saw singleness or has seen singleness as a lesser than position in life, and that is dead wrong. God calls people to be single, even if it's just for a season of life, He calls them to be single. The truth is, whether married or single, we all deal with lust in our lives. We can desire and lust after a certain type of person or a certain lifestyle or even after certain things. Turn if you would to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5 verses 27 and 28. Jesus says this, you have heard that it was said, and listen to what He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. He goes back and He quotes the Old Testament, He quotes the Ten Commandments. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus doubles down here on the law and reminds the hearers. He reminds the hearers of the law, and He goes further in saying that if you have lusted after someone in your heart, just as if you've hated, we talked about this last week, you have broken the seventh commandment. And, and here's, here's what, what I'm trying to get at here, that God is trying to get to the heart of the matter. Not so much the physical act, but the heart, what's really going on in your heart. So specifically in a marriage relationship, it can seem that Jesus is only speaking to men here. But we have to remember the audience that Jesus was speaking to in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. There are children, there are men, there are women in this group, both married and single, that are listening. So if you have lusted in your heart, you have committed adultery. And you don't physically have to act on it. You don't physically have to act on that. But it's a thought, listen to me, look at me for just a minute. It's a thought pondered, stewed on, and kept secret that becomes sin. 
So when you ponder that for so long, when you, when you stew on it in your heart, it becomes sin. That's what the Lord Jesus is saying here. These are not Ricky's words, this is Scripture. So practically speaking, I, I, want, I want you to hear this, practically speaking, where are you spending time on the internet when no one is around? What life do you wish you had and constantly spend time thinking about that another person may be able to give you? Men, are you making a covenant with your eyes like Job? Job 31, the first part of that verse one says that I have made a covenant with my eyes. And ladies, are your desires for greener grass constantly comparing yourself to someone else that you would lose your own soul to gain it? So I want to define what is lust. Lust is, if, you, if we're talking about the seventh commandment here, a person is a means to an end to satisfy a disordered desire. A person is a means to an end to satisfy a disordered desire. So basically what we're doing here is we're breaking another commandment is that we see a human being as something that they're not, as a means to an end. Look at Matthew chapter 6, just one page over. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Jesus makes it clear here that your eyes are what you filter things with. And you filter things through your eyes. What you put in by the way of eyes, of your eyes, sits in your heart and eventually becomes action. It eventually becomes action. So how do we, what do we do when we know, we know these things, okay? We know what lust is, we know what sexual purity looks like, or we're looking at these things. How do we fight against these things? Look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, I love the words of, of the Apostle Paul here in verses 5 through 6. He says, put to death. Okay, if you, know, if you take notes in your Bible or whatever, underline that or circle it. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Paul makes it clear here that we have to put to death. Even as Christians, we still need to put sin to death in our lives. That is our job as Christians, is to be filled with the Spirit, is to be our, have our eyes so set on Him that we're putting to death constantly the desires that we have that are worldly. So how do we put, the, how do we put them to death? Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 13. Romans 8, 13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So how do we put those to death? By the Spirit. We're constantly asking the Holy Spirit to kill those desires that are sinful in us. 
constantly. And this is not just in the morning getting up and asking Him to do that. That is all throughout the day. That is what it means to pray without ceasing, is that we are constantly fighting, that we are waging war against the flesh. So how do we do these things? Here's some practical tips for you. We live in the light, we are honest, and we are accountable with fellow believers. And we're saturating our mind with the Word of God. And the last one, of course I'm going to say this as your pastor, is prayer. So we're constantly living in the light. We're, we're leaving places of darkness in our own lives, and we're living in the light by being honest and confession and repentance and being accountable with other brothers and sisters, and we're saturating our mind with the Word of God and in prayer. I want to say, you th- I want to say this, and, and I'm grouping myself in here with you, okay? How many of us, and you don't have to raise your hand, this is rhetorical, how many of us are saturating, constantly saturating our minds by scrolling social media and seeing the lives of other people play out constantly, or Netflix, or Hulu, or Apple TV, or whatever it is, we're constantly saturating our minds with these things. Why? Because it's easy. This, saturating our minds with this and in prayer is not easy. Our flesh makes it easy to saturate our minds with the things that come easy to the flesh. But saturating our minds and our hearts with this so that we filter everything through the Word of God, including what I'm saying, including what your pastor says, that you go home and you filter it through the Word of God. If you're just taking every word that I say as gospel truth, then you're not doing this right. But if you're going home and saying, I'm going to weigh what Ricky said against the Word of God, and if it's not the Word of God, then I'm going to let it fall by the wayside. So I could preach until I was blue in the face that obedience is what God is looking for, and He is. God is looking for obedience. But how can we we be obedient to a God who seems to love us? But sometimes we feel like he just doesn't like us very much, or he just seems perpetually disappointed with us, especially when it comes to the sins of the heart. And none of us, none of us truly voice what we are thinking. Some of us have thoughts that are truly disturbing, and if we told people what we were thinking, it would make people rethink their friendship with us. But here's the good news. Look at Psalm 94, verse 11. Psalm 94, verse 11 says this, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh, the Lord knows the thoughts of men, knows the thoughts of humanity. They, that they are but a breath. God knows our thoughts. He knows what's going on in our minds. He knows all the thoughts that we're having. There's actually a proverb that says that any thought that makes it to our tongue, God knows before we even speak it. That's how sovereign and in control our God is. So if God knows our thoughts, how do I fight this battle? Look at Psalm 139, Psalm 139, 
the last two verses, verses 23 and 24. This is a prayer, okay? This is a prayer that all believers should pray. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So we're mindful, we're aware that God knows all of our thoughts, and we bring them before Him and we say, Lord, I don't know what to do with these thoughts. I'm having these thoughts, constantly having these thoughts, and I want to wage war against them. Help me. Help me to fight. Help me to bring these things out in the light. Bring a brother or sister around me that, can, that I can be accountable with and be honest with and, and confess to them my sins and confess, God, to you my sins first and foremost, and to repent of those sins, to turn from those sins and look to the Lord Jesus. So the truth is, when it comes to the subject of sexual purity, it can seem that though for many of us it's easier to just give in and give up than to fight for it. The Mount Everest of our desires can seem exactly like that, too rough a terrain for us to walk, too steep a climb, and just too much work for a fight that seems like a losing battle. But I would not be serving you well as your pastor if I did not call you to arms. That's what I'm I'm here to do is to call us to arms. Pastor John Piper preached a message at a conference in 2004 titled, Sex and the Supremacy of Christ. In the message, Piper paints a picture for us of the majesty of Christ and makes this mountain of desire a blip on the radar. With the help of Dr. Piper, I wanted to end this message this way and quote from his 2004 message. Okay, I'm I'm giving him credit. This is Dr. Piper's message that I'm going to be ending with. He says here, there are many practical strategies for being sexually pure in mind and body, and I don't demean them. He says, I use them, but with all my heart I know, and with the authority of Scripture I know that the tiny spaceships of our moral strategies will be useless in nudging the planet of sexuality into orbit unless the sun of our solar system is the supremacy of Christ. What is supremacy? Is the state or condition of being superior to all others in authority, power, or status. He goes on to say, the supremacy of His deity, equal with God the Father in all His attributes, the radiance of His glory and the exact imprint of His nature, infinite, boundless in all His excellencies. The supremacy of His eternality that makes the mind of man explode with the unsearchable thought that Christ never had a beginning, but simply always was sheer, absolute reality while all the universe is fragile, contingent like a shadow by comparison, comparison to all his all-defining, ever-existent substance. The supremacy of His never-changing constancies and all His virtues and all His character and all His commitments, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The supremacy of His knowledge that makes the library of, library of Congress look like a matchbox and all the information on the internet look like a little 1940s farmer, farmer's almanac and quantum physics and everything Stephen Hawking ever dreamed seem like a first-grade reader. 
The supremacy of his wisdom that has never been perplexed by any complication and can never be counseled by the wisest of men. The supremacy of his authority over heaven and earth and hell without whose permission no man and no demon can move one inch who changes times and seasons, removes kings and sets up kings, does according to all his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, so none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? The supremacy of his providence, without which not a single bird falls to the ground in the furthest reaches of the Amazon forest, or a single hair on any head turns black or white. The supremacy of his word that moment by moment upholds the universe and holds it in being all the molecules and atoms and subatomic realities we have never yet even dreamed of. The supremacy of his power to walk on water, to cleanse lepers, to heal the lame, to open the eyes of the blind, to cause the deaf to hear and storms to cease and the dead to rise with a single word or even a thought. The supremacy of his purity never to sin or to have one millisecond of a bad attitude or an evil, lustful thought. The supremacy of his trustworthiness never to break his word or let one promise fall to the ground. The supremacy of his justice to render due to in due time all moral accounts in the universe settled either on the cross or in hell. The supremacy of his patience to endure our dullness decade after decade and to hold back his final judgment on this land and on this world that we might repent. The supremacy of his sovereign servant obedience to keep his father's commandments perfectly and then embrace the excru excruciating pain of the cross willingly. The supremacy of his meekness and lowliness and tenderness that will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick. The supremacy of his wrath that will one day explode against this world with such fierceness that people will call out for rocks and the mountains to crush their brains rather than face the wrath of the Lamb. The supremacy of his grace that gives life to the spiritually dead rebels and wakens faith in hell-bound haters of God and justifies the ungodly with his own righteousness. The supremacy of his love that willingly dies for us even while we were yet sinners and frees us for the ever-increasing joy and making much of him forever. The supremacy of his own inexhaustible gladness in the fellowship of the Trinity, the infinite power and energy that gives rise to the universe and will one day be the inheritance of every struggling saint. So the question is, what is he supreme over? He is supreme over galaxies and endless reaches of space. Over the earth from the top of Mount Everest, 29,000 feet up to the bottom of the Pacific Ocean, 36,000 feet down in the Mariana Trench. He is supreme over all plants and animals from the beautiful blue whale to the microscopic killer viruses. Over all weather and movements of the earth, hurricanes, tornadoes, monsoons, earthquake, avalanches, floods, snow, rain, sleet, over all chemical processes that heal and destroy, cancer, AIDS, malaria, flu, and all the workings of antibiotics and a thousand healing medicines. He is supreme over all countries and all governments and all armies, over Al-Qaeda and all terrorists and kidnappings, kidnappings and suicide bombings and beheadings, over all nuclear threats from Iran 
Iran or Russia or North Korea. He is supreme over all politics and elections, over all media and news and entertainment and sports and leisure, and over all education and universities and scholarship and science and research, and over all business and finance and industry and manufacturing and transportation, and over all of the internet and information systems. As Abraham Kuyper famously once said, there is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry out, mine, I own it all, and rule with absolute supremacy. And though it may not seem so now, it is only a matter of time until He is revealed in heaven in flaming fire to give relief to those who trust Him and righteous vengeance on those who don't. This is the blazing sun at the, this is the blazing sun at the center of our solar system, holding the planet of sexuality in sacred orbit. This is the ballast at the bottom of our boat from keeping it from being capsized by the waves of sexual temptation. This is the foundation that holds up the building of your life so that you can hold, that you can build with strategies of sexual purity without this without knowing and embracing the supremacy of Christ in all things. The planets fly apart, the waves overwhelm, and the building will one day fall. What a powerful piece from Dr. Piper, that unless God is at the very center of our universe, something else will fill. Something else will fill that role. We have to see Him as sovereign and supreme over all things. If not, something else will take its place. So I want to invite you into this this morning. These words are clear from the Lord Jesus Himself, that we filter things through our eyes. Church, I'm calling us to arms here. Married men, I'm calling you to arms here. That holiness is a way of life. It's not just something you do on Sunday morning for all men in this place, for you little men in this place. Holiness is a way of life, not just something you do on Sunday morning. For you ladies, it's the same call. Holiness is a way of life from Sunday to Sunday, 24 hours a day. We set our eyes on the one true King who gave His life in our place and who will one day call us home. Church, I love you. I love you. And I want to tell you that. More than anything, I want a church who at the very center of all of their lives is the Lord Jesus Christ. As much as they love their families, as much as they love their career, as much as they love their hobbies, whatever it is, that those would all be shadows compared to the sun at the center of our universe. Let's pray.